God, Lord, to go and just bring it forth as you want it, Lord God. That you would touch my tongue, Lord God. You would help me to be sensitive to your spirit, Lord God. And you would lead in God. I ask you, Lord God, to loose your angels in this place, Lord God. To minister to your, your people, Lord God. To go and touch our ears, Lord God, that we might hear. To touch our eyes that we might see, Lord God. And that we might have a spirit, Lord God, of revelation of how you want us to live, Lord God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So if you can follow that while it's still up there, let me read what the NIV says. It says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Three observations which I have from that passage. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin wages a constant battle to deceive and to harden our hearts. It's a constant battle. It doesn't go away. And I don't know if it's supposed to be getting any easier. But there's no promises in the Word of God that says you're going to have a bed of roses. There's no promises that says that it will go away. The promises are that you will overcome. And for you to overcome, guess what? There's something there for you to overcome. I'm not overcoming a fence here because there's no fence here. That's what the promise is, is that you will overcome. So there's a hidden promise in that promise. If it succeeds, if sin succeeds, and a person slips into unbelief, and falls away from the living God, a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You know, it, it can succeed, and if it succeeds, that's what the Scripture says will occur. What's sin? We should know what sin is. Sin is not temptation. Sin is not temptation. You should not be beating yourself up if you're being tempted. Sin is the action that we choose to do. We choose. It's a choice. And it gets even worse than that because it's a result of our own lusts, our own desires. It's how we were born. It's how we were born. John's, James 1, 14 and 15, and I'm going to read the ESV, but you'll see the King James come up. But every person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
then desire when it has conceived. Desire when it has conceived. Gives birth to sin. If you let it, if you dwell on it, if you feed it, if it's a seed there and you water it and you let it grow, it will conceive and it will give birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth... Well, it's the same word in the King James. That's why we've got to get cleanse ourselves and get rid of the sin because it puts us enmity with God. Another bit of bad news. This one I know personally. I know this one really well. Sin can be an attitude. Doesn't have to be an action. Doesn't have to have, I've gone over and kicked my brother. It can be me standing here and laughing and him tripping over. Second observation. If we have if we are to share in Christ, that is salvation. So he has made us partakers of salvation. We have to hold our first confidence to the end. It's not a one saved always saved doctrine there's so many scriptures which say hold fast to the end and that's what it says here you have to hold fast to the end that first hope that sure confidence that God gave us when we started this work the writer of Hebrews sees two possibilities for Christians they either hold fast to their first confidence to the end or they become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and they fall away from God with a heart of unbelief. It's a joyful message. But that's what it says and that's what the truth is. So this sin is not the devil. It's not the world around us. It's our own choices prompted by my own desires. And you need to recognize that's what it is. You know, I was born this way. And you can use that in a whole realm of theatres. But for this application tonight, I was born this way. I was born with this desire to sin. I was born to go against God's word. But you know what? You don't have to yield to it. You get the spirit and you get some more strength. You don't have to do it in yourself. You can go and live for God. You do not have to yield to sin. It is my choice. But if I fail, I have a gracious God. Don't ignore him. He is a gracious God. All who start this race will receive a prize. Everyone will receive a prize. If they finish it. It doesn't mean 
But if you don't finish, you never started. Once you start the race, you're expected to finish it. And my third observation for t- of, of this passage, which we just read, there are two ways, two ways which are identified in this verse to enable the saints to persevere to the end. And that's what's most important, to persevere to the end. Starts off, take care, take heed, see to it. The author stresses constantly, keep a watchful eye out, open, consider, don't walk around blindly, don't go and just be led into situations. Take care, contemplate, look at it carefully. It presents a searching warning for every believer to go and examine himself, what he's doing and what he intends to do. There is a spiritual problem of unbelief. And he says, take care, brethren. Take care that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Wrong behavior results from wrong thinking. Take care. Guard your attitude. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. Take care. Take care. Guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. The NIV puts it as, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So you need to guard your attitude. You need to guard your thoughts. You need to guard your actions. You need to watch what influences your life, what determines your attitude. There's a saying, and I'm sure you've heard it, that says, look where you're going, for you will go where you are looking. I prefer it this way, determine where you're going. Determine where you're going. Say, I want to go there, and fix your eyes on it and go there. Choose. Choose your target. See, it's our choices. Life is all about choices. And you will go where you are looking, where you have chosen, where you have set your heart. You need to set your heart on the thing you most want. You see, it's not the circumstances around us. I have a poem, a poem which I love. I'm going to read it now. It's slightly modified, and I acknowledge that. But See, one ship drives east. But another ship drives west with the self-same wind that blows. See, it's the set of the sails and not the gales that decides the way to go. Like the winds of the sea are the ways of God as we voyage along through life. Tis the set of the soul. That decides its goal and not the calm or the strife.
you need to decide where you're going. I used to go and do Sunday school with teenagers. And the one thing which I used to go and try them to do, to try to go and get, is to go and say, these circumstances might occur, how will I react in it? I get in a car with my peers, my friends from school and they want me to drink or they want me to do this or they want me to do that. Well, let me tell you, if you haven't thought about that and made a decision about that before that situation, you've got no chance. You've got no chance. The peer pressure, and peer pressure works all the way up in all, all ages. I still get peer pressure you need to go and make decisions about your goal now and work out what you're going to do in those circumstances to have any chance to go down that path alright the second way identified to enable saints to persevere to the end is really what I want to talk about tonight. All the rest of that, that's just dressing and you get that for free. This is what I want to talk to you about tonight, which is in that scripture. It is daily exhortation from other saints. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what the scripture says. It's there in the middle of the scripture. I don't know if you've seen it before. When I read it, I was... I just had read over it. But it says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How important do you see it is to live with other Christians? But that's what God's will is. Every day, take care of yourself and take care of the others which are around you. My salvation is a community project. Your salvation is a community project. See, I I have social problems. I'm not a really social person. And there's times whereby I've gone looking for the perfect church and somebody told me about the perfect church and I totally agree with them. Problem is there's no people there and that's what makes it the perfect church. So there's me and God. I don't think I would last to the end in that sort of a church because I'm there. And, and, and things in me trip me up. So this is why the scripture says to go and exhort one another daily. You know, it makes it really clear to me that this is one way in which God intends us as a family to go and guard us. It's Christian community. We don't, we don't, I know I don't 
value this enough. But my salvation is dependent upon my brothers and sisters. I can't just have a relationship with Jesus. You know, this is how I read the scripture. I can't just have a relationship with Jesus, just me and him, and that will be my salvation. I think there's more. I think my salvation is dependent upon all of my brothers and sisters to go and encourage me and correct me and direct me and build me up. And that's my role with my brothers and sisters as well. That's how we're meant to live. So not just prayer, not just worship, not just Bible reading, but regular interaction, exhortation from other believers, encouraging you in God and in God's ways, enabling you to hold that first love, that first confidence. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Don't do it tomorrow. Because it doesn't say tomorrow, it says do it today. And yesterday's gone, so if you didn't do it yesterday, well, start doing it today. Do it today. But none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it says. This is a way which God has set up for us to live. further explanation in Hebrews 10 23 25 and again it says let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love to provoke I meant to provoke you I think that's what I'm trying to do now but it's not meant to be just me from the pulpit it's meant to be us individually to provoke one another what to to love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching god is faithful it says that god is faithful God will finish the work which he started if we allow him. If we yield to him, he will finish the work. But if we isolate ourselves, we will isolate ourselves from him as well. So if we start this race... And we don't finish it. It's not because God didn't do it. It's because of our choices, our desires. Should have Chelsea and David here. Because the question is, which I ask, and it's relevant in a relationship, but it's more than, and yet we have a relationship with God. The proof of your desire is your pursuit of it.
How hard are you willing to go and pursue your desire? Is it just something written up on the wall? Is it just there and it's only a token? Or have you got it put there and it's a concrete? It's a concrete, that is my target. That's what I'm going to do and stir yourself up. Because it is your desire in going towards that and working towards it, which is your proof of how much you want it. So back to Hebrews again. Here the writer is encouraging people to hold fast their faith and also to help others and thus themselves by becoming strong and passionate with love to stir them up in the faith towards God and in their love towards their fellow brothers. And out of that will flow your love to other men. The closer we get to the return of Christ, the more we need to be together and encourage one another. These verses are not about haphazard meetings. It's not just about It's about intentional meetings for the purpose of encouragement and strength. Intentional meetings. Hebrews says, and not just this verse, but Hebrews says, meet together, meet together, meet in homes, meet at work, meet in restaurants. Don't neglect meeting. How else can we encourage one another to hold fast to our confidence and how else can we stir each other up to love and good works? In whatever way, meet together. And I'm old-fashioned because I I get the most out of face-to-face meetings. And then the next one's to go and have a voice on the end. That's just me. But do you see the warning in that text? Don't neglect to meet together as a habit of some. We're always in the danger, always in danger of forming bad habits and a habit of not meeting with other Christians. You know, it's something which I've had to work through, something which I've had to go and learn. I need other Christians. As much as they might irritate me, as much as they might rub me the wrong way, I need other Christians. Because you know what happens when they're irritating me is that they're showing me something which maybe I should be looking at and something which I should be adjusting. Some attitude which needs... There's that word again. Praise God. I need other Christians who speak God's word to me, whether it be verbally, whether it be behaviorally. I need to see your behavior showing me that I can do better. He's overcome. I can do it too. Or just by being there. I have a brother at church and we don't both 
a man of few words. So it's really interesting when we get together for a coffee. But you know what? Those meetings encourage me. I don't know how much they encourage him, but they encourage me greatly. And I don't know what it is, whether it's a like spirit, whether it be whatever. But we will go and we'll have coffee and there might be one or two words said and we'll say goodbye. And I will be greatly encouraged just by being there. So if we don't get together, how do you get that? And I'm not talking, that scripture's not talking about church. It's talking about getting together with your brothers and your sister. Intentional meetings. You know, and especially, especially when times become discouraging. When you're in need, you're in need of your brothers most. When you're feeling down, you need to go and lift up your brother's arms. Second Peter 2, 7 to 8. And delivered just Lot. Lot was just. That stuns me. There's hope for me. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That can be so much like us living in the world today. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and in hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot made a poor decision. He was tormented. The NIV, when it says vexed, if you want to understand what vexed means, it means tormented, tortured. He wasn't just uncomfortable. He was tormented by his environment and he was saved because of Abraham. But what happened to Lot's wife? Our decisions don't only affect ourselves, people. Don't only affect ourselves. We're not islands. If you surround yourself with dogs, you will catch fleas and you will even smell. And what's worse, you won't even know. You won't even know. You might know about the fleas. We're in a world, but we're not of the world. We need to show preference for one another. We need to show preference. That's what the scripture says. Because the world won't encourage you in your walk with God. You need to choose your destination. You need to catch the right train. And you need to catch it. So an indication of whether you're on the right train is whether they're going to the same destination that you're wanting to go to. You can look at them and say, what destination are they working towards? 
Three relationships every believer must pursue. First and most important, and you guys know this, is your personal relationship with God. Characterized by trust, devotion, worship, obedience, submission. Submission. That's just obedience in another word, really. It's just harder to say. But if you want to understand what obedience is, obedience is submission. Obedience is doing things that you don't want to do, but because you've been asked to do it and you don't understand why you're doing it, but you've been asked to do it. That's not in my notes. Second is your relationship with other believers in the body of Christ. Characterized by what I've just said to you, mutual exhortation, mutual encouragement, mutual building up to strengthen each other's faith and to stir each other up in love. You get those two right, you might be able to have a third relationship because it flows out of the first two and that's your relationship to unbelievers. If you don't get the first two right, forget about the third. Because any relationship which you have with unbelievers, which isn't built on the foundation of those two, is going to be something which will draw you away from the first two. You need to get your relationship with God solid. You need to go and then build upon that and have your relationship with your brothers solid. No schisms. You need to encourage one another, work together. And then out of that, you can then flow into the, uh, your relationship with unbelievers. And that's characterized by your lifestyle because they're going to be looking at you. We need to continually seek God and his holiness. We need to help each other endure to the end and to build each other up and I'm saying the same thing over and over again to encourage one another under good works and then we need to reach out to unbelievers and share the joy, the joy of this salvation. Do we have preference for our... This is a loaded question. But do you go and have preference for your unbelieving friends? Are they easier to get on with? Are they more entertaining? Are they more appealing? Where's your preference with your friends? Let me ask a harder question. Full of joy. Full of joy. Do you treat your unbelieving friends better than you treat your brothers in the church? Do you know what? They're watching. They see your behaviour. They see whether you're arguing. They see what you say about Sister Diane. Or Sister Ashley. They see and hear it. And they think, 
Well, they don't need to think because the conclusion's there. You're presenting them with the conclusion. Okay. How does the New Testament Bible go and tell us how to care for each other? I've got a list of about 15 scriptures because what I wanted to do here is give you, and this is only a snapshot because it's all through the Bible, but this will give you a flavour for how God wants us to treat each other. So instead of just taking one, I've done a biblical sweep. So I'm going to go and just ramp, just go through these, they'll come up. But what I want you to do is put out your spiritual ears and say, am I doing this? Does this apply to me? How well am I doing this? Mutual care. Are you giving as you should? Are you receiving as you should? Romans 12 and 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honour, preferring one another. I've already said that. Preferring one another. 1 John 4 and 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the great overarching command and it's so easy to lose it because it's so overarching. But how does God want us to love our brothers? And remember that we're all... This is family. We are family. We're all adopted into the one family. We all have the same spirit. So that love should just flow freely. So we should care for each other with that love. The brother which niggles you. Love him. The brother which offends you. Because you've got them. I've got one of them. I've got a special one of them. Because I, I need perfecting in this. And he knows a way. So you can take this on board. And I, I don't really, because it's not my notes. I'm just trying to follow where, where the Spirit's leading. But this brother knows a way to really get me upset. And he does it because it amuses him. So I've gone to him and I've said, please don't do this. It really upsets me. It offends me. Please don't do this. So that's the end of it, isn't it? No. Because it amuses him. What am I to do? Forgive and love. And tell him it offends me. There's no scripture to go and tell me that I'm just to accept it. In fact, the scripture tells you otherwise. 
But when he doesn't listen, it's on his head and I'm to forgive and to love. That's blowing my notes. Where are we up to? Romans 15.7 Wherefore receive. What's that word mean? That word means welcome. Accept. Wrap them in your arms. Welcome them, ye one another. As Christ... I hate it when that happens. No, I don't really. I don't. Christ is our example, but sometimes it's just so hard. As Christ received us, he welcomed us. I have no idea why me. I am the only one in my family which believes this truth and which worships God. I have no idea why. But God did that. He drew me unto himself. He filled me with his spirit and he welcomed me into his family. And we're to do the same. 1 Corinthians 12 and 25. And I said this earlier, that there should be no schism in the body that the members should have the same care one for another. No schism. That's a really good word because it really hides what it means. It means no cliques. Don't form little special cliques in amongst your brothers and exclude your other brothers. That's a schism when somebody feels excluded. Don't have cliques. No exclusive clubs. No outcasts. No secret agendas. First Peter 4 and 10. And I'm going to read the ESV. Because it just makes it, well, as each has received a gift, we've all received a gift. So serve one another that's why God blesses us with a gift that's why God goes and anoints us that's why God has drawn me into the church not because he loves me so much but he loves you I'm here to serve you you're here to serve me we're here to serve each other and to build each other up I don't understand the economy of that I don't understand it I don't care That's how God means it to be. That's how it should be. And God expects us to be good stewards of the grace which he's given us. He who wants to be greatest in the kingdom needs to become the servant of all. You want to get greater in the kingdom? You want to get greater in the church? See how many people you can serve. See how many of your brothers you can really serve and help and do things and build up and encourage. Ephesians. Oh, there's that word. 5 and 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you love Christ? 
submit to one another. You don't have to hang on to your rights. You might have rights. But the biggest right of all is to love your brother and your sister. Submit to one another. Esteem the other more. To esteem your brother more. Ephesians, Thessalonians 5.15. Again, I'll read the ESV. It says, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Always seek to do good. Find ways to bless one another. Find ways to encourage one another. Always seek to do good. Don't go and think the worst. Why did they do that? They must have done that because they're trying to provoke me or they're trying to get even. No, maybe they're just ignorant and they just don't know what they're doing. Praise God. Ephesians 4 and 32 says much the same. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted. That's against this world. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Yay! I can admonish my brother. There's my ticket. Except until you go and look at what the meaning of the word is. Why do you want to do that? has a bit of an edge to it, and that's really good. What it really means is to gently guide with love. To come alongside and to go and say, you're slightly off the path here, brother. Let's just move over here and get back on the path. Do it in love. You're doing that and that goes and offends me. Could you do it this way? But do it in love. It's gently encouraging your brother. Gently encouraging. Not going there with a sword to go and hack him down. Praise God. ah, Ephesians 5.19. It says, speaking to yourselves. There is so important for you to go and study the word of God. To understand what the words mean. You see, it says in the King James, and the King James is by far the best version, by far without comparison. But that says, speaking to yourself, you've got to remember that the King James was written a little while ago. So if you go and look at other versions like the ESV or NIV, it goes and says, speak to one another. So when it goes, we get that, we get that scripture 
and we go and say we're supposed to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in my heart for me. No. No. You're supposed to do that for you. And you're supposed to do it to me. And we're supposed to encourage one another. Romans five, uh, sorry, Romans fifteen five to seven says, and I'm reading the NIV. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That's why you're doing it. Because it glorifies God. Romans 15:14 says, "And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish, instruct one another." And as you are filled with more and more knowledge about God and his ways, you can share and encourage one another. Not lord it over your brothers because you know it. Share and encourage. Share and encourage one another. We all need this. God does not mean for us to be merely alone with our Bibles. But he's meant to share the word of God and what it's doing in our lives with each other. Brother, did you see this? Brother, did you see that? Colossians three thirteen fourteen. 14 Forbearing one another and forgiving one another and if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, put on love, forgive and forbear, and let love rule, because love is the bond of perfectness. Let love guide every action. Let love guide all that you do in the church to your brothers and your sisters. Show love to your brothers and sisters before you show love to the world. James 5.16 Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed and the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Find someone that you can share and pray with. I'm having problems in this area. Can you pray with me about it? And when you've done something wrong, you need to go to who you've wronged and say, I'm sorry, brother, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. And then pray together talking about brothers 
And the last one I've got, which I think we really un- we we really underestimate it. First Peter four and nine says, "Show hospitality one to another." Why does it? Why does God need to add those last two words? Because we're human. I'm going to have my brother over to my house. Do I have to? Show hospitality. Oh, God said show hospitality. Okay, I'll do that. Without grudging, without grumbling, do it for the blessing that it is to encourage your brother. Let me put an edge on that as well. This is a free one as well. Don't just choose the people which are easy to love. For what reward do you have? And you can search up the other half of that scripture. There is an incredible importance in home ministry to each other. It's good to be in each other's homes. It's good to open your homes up to each other because barriers come down. Bonds are created. You ask somebody into your home and there is an immediate bond created with that person. They feel welcomed. It's like being welcomed into a family. And you know what? They are. I draw to a close by simply underlining from the text in Hebrews that the aim of encouraging each other in these ways, that's what we're to do, to be active in fellowship with each other, not just as what's constrained by the church. Go beyond the meetings here, but prefer one another, encourage one another, build one another up so that you're sustaining, you can be sustaining your brother. He might be struggling. How do you lift up the arms that hang down? Well, you can draw alongside and just encourage him. And just say, I'm here. I don't understand. I don't have the answer. I don't even know how badly you feel. But you can just draw alongside and be there. This brother which I was talking about earlier, he's got a really hard situation. And I have no answers no answers for his situation other than Jesus and I have no idea what Jesus is going to do there but all I can do is draw alongside him and God's, I'm sure God's put it on my heart and we go and we have coffees and we look at each other but I'm there and he encourages me I get the blessing So Hebrews 13, 
sorry, Hebrews 3 and 13 goes and says, exhort one another, exhort one another every day. Every day. What do you do on Mondays? It's tomorrow. Well, tomorrow it will be today. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Sin threatens to blind and to harden us all. We don't know what it's doing to each other. But God has appointed you to help your brothers and your sisters to go and help each other to persevere to go and fight the hardness and blindness of sin by loving each other by showing love to each other by encouraging one another and Hebrews 10.24 says let us consider how to provoke how to stir up one another to love and to good works we can all tend to drift into self-focus, into self-centeredness. I'm not talking about selfishness, but you can just tend to drift into just into your own little cocoon and in your own little cone of silence. We have that, and you need to break free of that. You need to go and intentionally meet with other people because God has appointed you to help others to persevere in love and in good works. You can't be a loner in this Christian life. God did not make us that way. He made us to be family. This applies to the teenagers. It applies to the older folk, which I think is me. Most of my sermons... God's teaching me something. So you can sit easy because it's really mine. It's for singles and for marrieds. It's for men and for women. It's for the babes in Christ. And it's for those of us which are mature. And in the words of Hebrews 10.25 it says, Do not neglect to meet one another. Meet together. But encouraging one another. And all the more as you see this day drawing nearer. My salvation is a community project. My salvation depends upon you. Your salvation is a community project. Your salvation depends on me, depends upon your brother. I have a part to play in your salvation. You need to recognise that you have a part to play in your brother's and your sister's salvation. It's not totally on them. You can draw alongside and you can encourage them. You can build them up. We need each other. Choose your goal this day and work with others and we can all get on the same train and all end up at the same destination.